Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you two. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Teporek, and joining me, as always, are Mort Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, guys? You had to think about that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I Still trying to recover from Game 6 of Warriors Thunder last night, which we will get to shortly. Today we're going to recap everything that's happened so far in that Western Conference Finals. We're going to say goodbye to the Toronto Raptors and talk a little bit about- People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. About the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. And we'll also touch on some of the big free agent and trade rumors that have been popping up in past days. So guys, let's start with Toronto-Cleveland, since that series is over. Last podcast, we prematurely buried the Raptors a little bit. We said it was going to be a rout because Cleveland blew the Raptors out the first two games. Toronto came back home and actually won games three and four before getting knocked out in six. So I'm curious what you guys think of how the Raptors responded in those games and what you think they should do moving forward when it comes to DeMar DeRozan. Sarah, let's start with you. Well, I'm going to be honest with y'all. I saw maybe five minutes of that series. So I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of confused as to how they, if, if you have some input on how Toronto tied the series, I'd love to hear it. But um, as far as DeMar, I, I don't think you... You max him. I'm sure they don't want to let him walk, but I don't know. You know, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, he's not that much of a shooter. Now, if you maybe put some more shooters around him, that could work. But I just think, you know, he, he gets you through the regular season pretty well, but come playoff time, you need another, like, go-to scorers who's actually going to hit some shots for you. And, and 
more to the point, not take so many bad ones. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't really want to throw max money at him, but that's just me. Martin, what about you? Yeah, well, we actually debated this some time ago, or was it even last podcast or the podcast before that, where we mentioned something along the lines of 18 million would seem fair a year. Was it was it 18 million, Bri? Yeah, I think that's what you said, yeah. somewhere around there. I'm still on that. I'm still on that. I don't think he raised that value at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still think he's a fine player. He can he can get buckets, but look at the numbers here in in the most important series like at all for the Raptors. His scoring at 23 a game was nice, but in 37.4 minutes a game, he took down just 3.2 boards and then 3.3 assists. I mean, he doesn't really do anything else. Like okay, fair enough. Getting getting buckets is good, especially if he does it efficiently, which he kind of did in this one in this round. But yeah, he's he's limited. As Sarah pointed out, he can't shoot, so you would always have to play him in a different way than you would do shooters. Having said that, that's not all his fault. You look at Demari Carroll; he shot nineteen percent from downtown throughout the series. Also horrific, you know. But yeah, I'm I'm at the eighteen million mark. For Demar. Now the question to me is, how much does, did Bismack Biombo raise his price at like fifty million? Yeah, I mean he's gonna get. Aside from you know you've got the big three in Whiteside, Al Horford, and Dwight Howard, but aside from that, the center free agent market is really weak. So I could absolutely see a team throwing. I mean. Eight-figure annual salary is now without question. Uh, I forget where I saw this. I want to say Sporting News maybe said some NBA executives think as high as 15 or $16 million a year. That sounds crazy, but you have to remember that he's allegedly only 23 years old. So <laughs> whether you believe that or not, it's not like you're paying for an established player who doesn't have any more of a ceiling like he can still get significantly better over the course of that deal and the way he handled cleveland on the boards was incredible i mean sarah i think that that's your answer as to how they got back in the series okay. bisbeck biombo dominated on the glass just absolutely dominated i think he had 40 combined rebounds in games three and four including 26 in game three <laughs> yeah yeah and against i mean you know that was that's the strength of Cleveland. You have Tristan Thompson, mm-hmm. who literally all he does is offensive rebound, and then Kevin Love as well. So like that's getting forty boards in general is incredible in two playoff games, but doing it against that front line is insane. Um, so I don't know that I'm excited to pay him fifteen million dollars. And thankfully for me, the Sixers have about sixteen centers, so it's not going to be them doing it. But you know, I, I could see the Lakers, if they miss out on Whiteside, going after him pretty hard. Or the Mavericks, who really desperately need a starting center. Oh, he'd be good there. Yeah, right? I like that. I hadn't thought about that one. Bismack to Dallas? I'd yeah. take that. I mean, hell, you know, I know he's not an offensive player, but during the regular season, he shot almost 63% from the line, and mm-hmm. he was at 54% like from the field. So he knows his limitations, and with the free throw percentage, you know, increasing, I wouldn't necessarily put a cap on how good of a free show, free throw shooter he could become at the center position. So yeah. you know, I mean, if he becomes like a 
at late 60s, early 70s percent shooter from the line. You couldn't just collapse on him and foul him. You couldn't play hack a Bismack. So right. that that would be huge. And he showed off a little bit of range. Like he knocked down a couple mid range jumpers. So it's not like he's totally lost. Like he's not DeAndre Jordan where he's literally can't operate outside of ten feet. Like he's not a great mid range shooter from what I can tell. It's not like a huge part of his repertoire, but that's not to say again he's twenty three. Maybe he develops that. So clearly his value, his immediate value is on defense, on rebounds and blocks in particular. But, you know, teams have built around offensively challenged big men. Like DeAndre Jordan's a great example. Tyson Chandler, like look at him in the 2010-11 Dallas Mavericks. I'm not saying Biombo is that level of a defender already, but you don't have to have a big man who can score 20 points a game to build a title. You guys yeah. asked me if I wanted him on my team or how much I would pay him uh, a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. And I've decided I want him on my team based solely on a vine that I saw floating around <laughs> last night <laughs> that I will retweet when we're done here. But uh, the rebounding, of course, also helps considering rebounding murdered the Spurs. But that said, uh, we won't get him, <laughs> considering the numbers that I've seen floating around already. It's not looking yeah. good for us. So You know, uh, who was it? Nate Jones from Goodwood Sports floated on Twitter, last, I think last night or two nights ago, the thought of the Spurs trading LaMarcus Aldridge to either the Lakers to, or to Boston for number two or number three. <laughs> so there's always hope. Maybe they get Brandon Ingram and then sign... Bismack with the money that they would have spent on uh, LaMarcus. That would be fun. That would be a wild <laughs> ride, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, someone someone said, imagine Ben Simmons in a Spurs uniform, <laughs> and I am vomiting. <laughs> oh, Pop, Pop would reach him, though. Oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. He would oh, be okay. so good. Yeah, like he, yeah. It would be like Kyle Anderson times 100. I mean, it's, get him, get him it's in just, the gym with Chip, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like one of those one of those guys who you're like, oh god. The second he goes on the Spurs, you just know that he's gonna turn into a super duper star. Like, Look, sorry, LeBron, move over. <laughs> ben Simmons is on the Spurs. There's the new best player in the NBA. I'm a six foot three, two hundred and seventy pound power forward who's furry, and he the, even the the Spurs could make me a shooter. <laughs> like, it's not even funny. It's so true. By the way, I have a question here. We t- we're talking about Bismack Biombo, right? And we we're trying to mm-hmm. determining his price. If the price is the same, let's assume fifteen million a year, so four years, sixty million. Bismack Biombo or Festus Izili? Who do you go with? Sarah. <laughs> oh, That's, the deep silence. Yeah, I don't yeah. have an immediate answer for that. Uh, gosh, I've I've liked Festus like all year, but. Mm. I don't know, maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, but I might go Bismack because, I mean, Festus is somewhat similarly limited offensively. He has, like, that one move. Like, I saw a tweet the other night about how he only turns over the one shoulder ever. Um, (laughs) Man, I'm going beyond that right now. I'm so glad you said that because I was looking into Vasily, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, he's actually become quite competent offensively all right i'm looking at his yeah i'm looking at his scoring numbers 
uh, admittedly from a per 36 minute angle, just okay. like compared to, to Bismack, which uh, that's probably a bit too far. We should have looked at like per 30 minutes or per 28 <laughs> or something. But either way, he was at 15 points a game for this regular season. And here in the playoffs, that climbed to 21 and a half points. It seems like, yeah, you know, he gets set up a lot. But he seems more comfortable around the rim. And he's, because he's taller, it's also a bit easier for him to get the ball up on the backboard. Mm-hmm. But it, whereas Bismack, you know, has a little bit more ground to cover. Having said that, I think Bismack is like clearly becoming the better defender. So it's 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 a tough <laughs> argument for me now. It's becoming a tough uh, decision. Brian, where are you at? Yeah, well, I'm just looking. Festus is only 26. Yeah. Did anyone know that? I had no idea he was that old. No, he missed a full season. That's why. He was drafted the year after Biombo, and Biombo is three years younger than him. That's insane. Allegedly. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's that's what I'm I'm getting at. I mean, Festus is a bigger body, so I think I feel more comfortable with him as my starting center. But in terms of value, I think it's a lot closer. I think I'd probably go Festus. Although the age thing's throwing me for a loop. I thought he was a lot younger. So I thought if, it, if they were both 23, I would say Festus pretty resoundingly. But the fact he's 26 is a little bit troublesome. Because you can't necessarily project the same type of improvement with him over the next four years that you can with Bismack. Ugh. Yeah, right? I, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Can, can, can we agree, though, that in the summertime... There shouldn't be like a 25, 30 million difference in, in the two contracts, whatever right. they're getting. Right. Oh, no. Yeah, they're both getting at least. I mean, I would be shocked if they get under under 15, but like they're getting at least 12 million annually, right? Yeah, but I'm, I mean, my point is they should get eerily similar contracts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 I agree with that. So, sorry for going off topic. I just thought that was kind of fun. <laughs> I was looking at Isili because. Obviously, he's uh, a guy that a lot of teams are looking at as well because they need a big man. And he's, uh, I started looking at his numbers and I was kind of surprised to see the offensive output. But it kind of confirmed what I've been seeing in games that he was becoming more competent around the rim. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting. But going back to Bismack, that dude just raised his value like proportionally during that one series. Yeah, it's amazing. It's insane. It, I mean, it sucks for Toronto because now he's basically priced himself out of their range if they bring DeRozan back. So that it's kind of unfortunate for them. Like they, you know, they they got him on such a good value signing last summer, and now they're going to lose him uh, for nothing. So that's a little unfortunate. But what else do you think the Raptors need to do this off season? I want them to ready Jonas Valanciunas. I mm. I think it's becoming. I don't want to say problematic because that's a big word, but I don't like the fact that Jonas has been in the league for so long, and I don't think he's cracked 30 minutes a night yet. I still think he's down in the 20 between 26 and 20 28 minutes a game. Uh, I'm, I'm not really looking at his profile right now, but I'm guessing it's around that area. I want to see him get 32, 33 minutes a game, and if that means like making him ready to do so, making him hit the gym, whatever. I think. That's what you need to focus on. I want you to prep him to get to that minutes mark because you need him, especially when you're losing Biombo. I thought his absence would hurt them more than it did. 
Yeah. Like, Biombo really did fill in quite well for them. But you're right. It looks like, so, he played 26 minutes per game during the regular season. Mm. Per 36 minutes, he averaged almost 18 points and 13 rebounds and two blocks. Yeah. But... Yeah, and it's not like foul trouble wasn't was keeping him off the court. He only averaged 2.6 fouls in his playing time. Yeah, he got winded a lot. So, he got winded yeah. a lot. But here, here's the reason for why I'm saying it. Because let's assume that DeMar DeRozan sticks around, which is mm-hmm. a, you know, a fair point because it could happen. I think even DeMar himself without saying that he wouldn't find a better situation than Toronto. Okay, then. Then I want to take some shots away from him, especially the contested long two-pointers. Mm-hmm. I want to so- yeah. somehow transfer some of his shot attempts into Jonas because I mean look the, the guy shoots almost 57 from the field 76 from the line so even if teams collapse on him and put him at the free throw line you can count on him I want to see the offense go towards him a little bit more not that I want the old traditional post-up thing to happen but mm-hmm. I just want to you know kind of funnel those shots from DeRozan into Jonas's hands a little bit more uh, yeah I, I think that would create a little bit more symmetry yeah, I totally agree with that. That that pick and roll with him destroyed in the beginning of the playoffs. Yeah, that was huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, I agree. I mean, look, it's looking over his regular season stats. I I and, and now I just opened his profile. It, it real I realize he's never averaged over nine shot attempts per game during the course of his career, and that's criminal. <laughs> that's criminal. He's just too good of a player to to not get those touches. Yeah. I mean, he's shooting, what, 56% for his career? Yeah, almost. And 77 yeah. from the line, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would... You, the Raptors definitely need more offensive balance. I mean, it's great to have two guards who can bail you out when Lowry and DeRozan, as the Warriors can attest after Game 6. But not having that balance really makes it easy for opponents to game plan against you, which I think was their problem, especially in the first two games against Cleveland. Like the Cavs just sold out defensively to stop Lowry and DeRozan. And those dudes, because those two guys just dominate the ball so much, they just couldn't help, but continue jacking shots, even though they were low efficiency. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I mean, the big thing I want to see them do is get a, a, an upgrade at the four. Oh yeah. I mean, Luis Scola needs to put out to pasture. It's time. <laughs> like he, he was getting absolutely murdered in that Cavs series. They have the number nine pick thanks to the disastrous Andrea Bargnani trade from the Knicks. And there could be a couple intriguing guys there like Marquise Chris. Deonta or... Davis. Is he, is he a power forward or is he a center? No, Deonta, he's a, he, he can play both, but he's a power forward in my eyes. And he is so oh. defensive-minded that he is like the most obvious pick for Toronto. And he's in that draft range. Yeah. I yeah. would love him on Toronto. I would be. I mean, I guess you do need a solid defender next to JV. Yeah. That would be the ideal front court pairing. So I just, for some reason, thought... Davis is more of a center, but that shows how much I have scouted big men in this draft. <laughs> Look, <laughs> the answer is none. Imagine Tyrus Thomas, and then with a little bit more um, sanity to his game, I, I suppose. <laughs> oh, okay. Not that that's that seems like a knock on Tyrus. That wasn't. It's just that he he never really grew into to to the NBA player we all anticipated. He he kind right. he wanted to be a three. He compared himself to Tracy McGrady. He wanted to be on the perimeter. 
it seems like Deonta kind of accepts the fact that he's a rim protector and a big man. He runs the floor, he blocks shots at a tremendous rate, and he's got tremendous athletic ability. He would be so good in Toronto. So good. You could run the floor with him all night long. He'll help Jonas both on the glass and from the weak side. And let, let's not forget, Jonas is a fine one-on-one defender. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. problem there. Yeah. So right. like, it, it's when it's when you're probably in a transition defense scenario that you have Deonta just jumping down the floor and coming up with behind, you know, um, behind like blocks from behind and mm-hmm. and just challenging shots. And yeah, I, I would love to see him in Toronto. There we go. We just solved your offseason, Raptors. Yeah. Off Deonta Davis. Yeah, listen Reset. to the Dane raps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Toronto. It sounds like DeRozan wants to come back. He comments that he gave in his exit interviews, basically sound, made it sound like the LA thing is a pipe dream. Uh, And Bleacher reports, Kevin Ding also reported the Lakers aren't as interested in DeRozan as popular perception might indicate. So especially if the Lakers draft Brandon Ingram at two, I just don't see any reason they would bring in DeMar. It seems like he's coming back to Toronto. Let's uh, let's just take a brief second here because I've been seeing this crap all over Twitter about Cleveland and LeBron, who is now in the finals for the sixth straight year. He is the first guy since the 1960s Celtics to get to the finals for six straight years. So that is 50 years, 50 years of history that no one has accomplished this feat. <laughs> and James Jones has now joined him in that historic group. But can we just stop with the whole East-West thing for a second and just appreciate how good LeBron is? He left Cleveland to go to Miami. They immediately make four straight finals. He goes back to Cleveland. They make two straight. I don't care who you're playing. Like, it's it's amazing, right? It's just a, completely amazing what he did. Look, James is absolutely fantastic, as evident by the six uh, straight fi- uh, finals appearances. And LeBron is pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of LeBron hate out there. And I think most of it is tied up to Michael Jordan. Let's just be honest. Yeah. It's still a thing. Right. Pe- people on Twitter and, uh, you know, on Facebook, they just try to avoid the, the Jordan comparison. And, and they kind of try to knock LeBron in a way that says, oh, we're knocking him based on his own merits. But no. No, you're not. You're you're it's it's the Michael Jordan back in the head comparison you're making. That's why you're knocking him down. And look, let's just call it like it is. LeBron isn't going to be MJ, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. That he's still a top fiver of all time and that's greatly appreciated. So, you know, let LeBron be LeBron. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredibly impressive. Uh I guess it, yeah, I don't know if it's because us normal humans don't know how difficult it is to make it to the finals, or or because he's made it look so easy. Maybe I I don't know, but yeah, everybody's always trying to to bring that down and then bring up the uh, the finals record itself. But yeah, just getting there that many times is impressive, no matter who you're playing. And while we're on it, uh, can we congratulate? Toronto and their their fans because I know we kind of laughed at them last episode but that yeah, wasn't intended yeah. to to make light of the fact that I mean they're used to not getting out of the first round and and they made the conference finals and that's pretty awesome for sure so yeah 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 even if they'd been swept that would have been awesome but the fact that they tied the series yeah that's great yeah 
Yeah, we big mea culpa to Toronto. We greatly underestimated you. And, I mean, that was a hell of a season. 56 mm-hmm. wins, conference, first ever conference finals appearance. You know, it, it's still, the East is still LeBron James's team <laughs> way up high. And then everyone else in the playoff contender mix, like the Boston and Atlanta, Miami and Toronto, like all those teams are right around each other. And then the Sixers are somewhere way below. But there's still a big distance there. But, you know, it's it's impressive and as toronto showed like it all you need is that one like going into game five there is a legitimate question of like oh man are we about is cleveland suddenly in a danger here like if lebron had one of those you know inexplicable disappearing games like he had uh in 2010 against boston like oh yeah could have been 3-2 toronto so yeah props props to the raptors uh i just wanted to also give LeBronson do on this podcast yeah. because I, I just I don't get it. I really I think people are people dislike him personally and they let that shadow or kind of color their perception of what his on court accomplishments. Like Sarah, you said it, his finals record is never gonna be Michael Jordan's. Mm-hmm. But I mean seven finals is mm. insane. I don't care who you're playing and it's not like he beat up on like nothing but terrible teams like atlanta won 60 games last year you know he played in miami he played the uh the remnants of that big three celtics era that won a ring before that indiana team with paul george and roy hibbert and david west that was a really good team yeah so let's just let's enjoy i don't care what happens in the finals if cleveland loses i don't want it to be a referendum on lebron Let's just enjoy the fact that we are getting to see this dude play basketball because, Morton, you said it. He's going to go down as a top five all-time player. Let's just enjoy it. We don't we don't get these types of players very often. We're, we just so happen to be living in an era where we have a couple of them, as it turns out, which is the perfect way to transition into Golden State, Oklahoma City. My God. We're, we're recording this on a Sunday, so Game 6 just happened last night. And guys, I'm still emotionally recovering from what happened. <laughs> I mean, so Oklahoma City is leading the whole game. They take an 8-point lead into the fourth quarter. Klay uh, Thompson hits some of the most absurd three-pointers I've ever seen, especially in that kind of a high-pressure situation. You know, the dubs were down six with less than six minutes left their season's on the line and clay is just calmly pulling up off the dribble and just draining threes right in the okc's face um i think my i want to hear from you guys what was your biggest takeaway from game six well ladies first (laughs) thank you (laughs) uh man it was (laughs) it's strange that it was strange but it was strange to see Oklahoma kind of go back to what they did in the regular season in, in the end of games because um, they've been honestly pretty good. I mean, they obviously finished off the Spurs, and they they took the Warriors to 3-1. I guess, I mean, you could argue that those games weren't especially close, at least in this series, but they were in the Spurs series, and they executed and took care of business. Um so then 
everything last night reared its ugly head again. Uh, KD, I think I think they said uh, that Westbrook was credited with one of those turnovers, but I think it probably should have been Durant. Uh, Durant got an off, a defensive rebound and kind of really quickly tossed it to to Westbrook, and it ended up kind of slipping through Westbrook's hands, but all the way around, like that was just that didn't look like the thunder that we've seen in the last week or two. Uh, it was the thunder that we saw up until then. Uh, so that that was the biggest thing, and and Steph kind of he's still off a little bit, which is crazy to say when he hit six threes, but <laughs> he, he set such a high bar. He still kind of feels like he's off, and especially uh, finishing at the rim. He hasn't done a lot of this series compared to what he did all season. But he looked like he was getting his bearings a little more, like getting comfortable yeah. with the way that the Thunder have defended them, kind of understanding, you know, the athleticism that's coming at him. Uh, he responded a lot better last night. Uh, man, I just – what do you guys think is going to happen? I know we're all probably leaning towards Golden State now that they have Game 7 at home. But it's just been such a weird series. Did did either of you think, either going into last night or as you watched, that Oklahoma City was going to lose? Yes. yes. Really? Yes. Oh wow. Because, but that's more out of stubbornness and <laughs> the knowledge. I just want to point that out. This this is not more than the prophet. This is more than the the stubborn idiot. <laughs> because and it's all due to Brian because he he kind of you know, said, let's, let's, let's go for, with the Warriors. I think he said in five and I, yep. yeah. And I wanted to top him and I said, <laughs> they're going to sweep. They didn't. And I'm stubborn. I, then I said on a couple, a podcast ago, I said, I'm still going to, you know, take golden state here, regardless of the situation, even if they're down three, one, which, you know, I would have gone with them. So I kept hope just for, for me being right. And now it's time for, you know, story time with Uncle Mort, okay? And, and we need to find a jingle for that, by the way. So I, I've been covering the NBA for almost a decade now. And, and here's the thing. When you cover a league and, and you watch a lot of games, rarely do you get sucked in emotionally. Very, very rarely. Um the last time I got sucked in emotionally was actually during the regular season this year, which was, again, in, infrequent and really surprising to me. Also, in Oklahoma City, and that was against the Warriors. Remember Stephens' oh, yeah. 12 yeah. threes and that ridiculous yeah. pull-up 38-footer? Yeah. All right. I was sitting on the couch back then, and, and my girlfriend was alongside me, and she doesn't watch a whole lot of basketball, but when she finally does, she, she really lets loose. And we were sitting there just you know hoovering and hollering at every step three and going crazy and and yeah so this morning we put the game on or i put the game on she was walking around wasn't paying attention and then came the fourth quarter and she started you know know, sitting at the table she looked over a couple times and she said oh that that number 11 guy he sure can hit some shots right (laughs) and i was like yeah oh is that clay she even said so because oh, she wow. still had some recollection of who he was. And then she couldn't stop watching. And I was I, I was suddenly, I found myself up from the sofa. And I was just jumping up and down. Yeah. Not because like I was rooting actively for the Warriors. And just because it was ridiculously good basketball. Mm-hmm. 
the, the shots that Clay hit, and especially the Oklahoma City defense, which hasn't been talked about because they lost. Mm-hmm. Holy freaking hell, guys. That was so good. They were yeah. so long that, you know, whatever Golden State did when they attacked the hoop, they were they were just guarded. It went just going off for a rebound. It was tough. It was contested. It was amazing. They they both played so well. Like Rashid Wall is saying both teams played hard. Well, that's the freaking case at this point. Like yeah. the, it was amazing. It was just a brilliant basketball performance. And when when Golden State started pulling away, got in, getting the steals, the shots, I mean, even my four year old were going, Oh, the blues are playing well. <laughs> yeah, they are, Bruce. Yep, yep. You are absolutely right, kiddo. So when it becomes awfully apparent to a four year old that says it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to touch on a couple of points that you both brought up. I actually did think going into the game, I thought OKC had it. Going into the fourth quarter, I thought OKC had it. I thought the way they played the Warriors in game five, they, you know, the Warriors tried to throw some haymakers and the Thunder just did not back down. And it seemed like after game five, the Thunder felt very confident. Like, they they thought, you know what? Like, we lost, but we went into a building where they lost two regular season games all year. And we took, you know, we, we were within a missed Kevin Durant three-pointer of being down three with 30 seconds left. Like, we, yeah. we damn near closed the series out. We're going to go back home. We're going to close them out in six. They go up eight, you know... It, Going into the fourth quarter, they have a six-point lead halfway through. They're in the bonus. Golden State doesn't have a single foul yet. Like, everything is conspiring against the Warriors. And then, Sarah, I think you nailed it. Steph really seemed to get comfortable with Mm. what... It was the first time we really saw him all series where he just started looking like Steph again where he's just kind of curling around corners and screens and like just popping out out of nowhere and draining threes. He really had that during the regular season. He really had that like innate ability to hit threes that would like just snap any momentum that the opposing team got. And it felt like he had a couple of those last night in the fourth quarter. Uh, I, Bill Simmons has been hammering this point home the past couple days how the Thunder have just been, like, really physical with Steph, and they've just been kind of roughing him up. Yeah. And he's been getting frustrated with that, like, not getting the calls. It seemed like in the fourth quarter he was just like, all right, screw it. Like, you can hit me with every body you got. I'm still going to nail this three in your face. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I just – I mean, Morton, you said it. Like, it, I, there's, a, there's this narrative going on right now that the Thunder like choking away the series. Like, no, both teams played insanely well. That was no. the best game of the season, bar none. They're, I mean, they're now, between that and the regular season game, these two teams are responsible for the two best games of the season. I mean, I don't care who wins game seven. Like, neither one of these teams should be... It shouldn't be seen as a choke from either. It shouldn't be a choke from OKC if they lose a 3-1 series lead. It shouldn't be a choke for Golden State if their 73 win season ends without a ring. Like, this is just one of the best heavyweight fights we've seen in the past couple of years. I mean, it, like, what's the last series we saw that was this good? Probably the Miami Spurs series from 2013, right? Mm-hmm. Sorry yeah. to bring that up, Sarah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, just, like, the, the amount of 
every time you think you have a grasp on what's going on in this series, the narrative flips. Like you thought in game four, the Warriors would come out down two one. They would, you know, they would use that. Draymond would use the anger of the low blow to Stephen Adams, and he would feed on the crowd's hatred, and he would like turn in this masterful performance. And instead, they lay a huge egg, and then. Game five, you're like, oh, I guess the Thunder just have their number. And then, you know, the Warriors come back, and it's just amazing. It's uh, I, This series needed to go seven. It really, we deserve this <laughs> as yeah. fans. I'm super excited. It's prediction time, guys. What do you think happens in game seven? So beforehand, before I come up with my inevitable Golden State Warriors prediction in, here in seven... Do you think at some point in this series, Steve Kerr dusted off an old t-shirt he had from the 95-96 season where it said, 72 and 10 don't mean a thing without the ring? Like, <laughs> I, that has to be like the best motivation. I could yeah. imagine him using that as a motivational tool. Like he goes into the locker room, he brings the t-shirt, right? And he just puts it down on the floor and just walks out. That would If, if we learned that he did that... <laughs> I, I would I would like fall in love with Steve Kerr on the spot. I That'd hope be that pretty pretty good of him. I hope this happened because I, I, I don't think he would like not use that t shirt for anything in, especially in this series. But yeah, yeah. I, I dubs in seven. They're at home. They've got momentum. You know, Steph is finding his groove. Clay is this is my this is minor hot take thing, but Clay Thompson is as far as I'm concerned has been the best player in the playoffs this year. So, yeah, um, I think they have all the momentum going forward. And Draymond seems to be playing a lot better in front of his own crowd. Mm-hmm. Watch out, Thunder. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be hard to go against them. I think, think I got to go Warriors in seven also. Um, but I, I'm most interested to see how the Thunder respond. Because uh, a lot of people have been comparing that to, to as you said, Brian, at Game 6, 2013 for the Spurs. Uh, I'll be a little bit of a of a pain snob, though, for a minute. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure that really, really hurt. But to me, it's still not quite on par with, you know, being 28 seconds from a championship and, and letting yeah. it go away. But, um, <laughs> no, yeah, that that's a rough way to lose it. I want to see... If if the Thunder will respond as the Spurs did, that I mean, they didn't play well in that game seven by any stretch of the imagination, but they competed. Uh, yeah. So I want to see. I'd like to see the Thunder do that. Uh, I don't think they're going to give up. I think they're going to play hard. Uh, I hope they'll be able to hang in there and make it another great game. Yeah, I, I you nailed it. I mean, I feel like for some reason we remember that Miami. Spurs series and it's like oh yeah they stole game six and then Miami just blew their doors off in game seven wasn't that was down to the final minute mm-hmm. right like Tim Duncan missed a bunny yep. that would have mm-hmm. brought it within two or within one like that was was not by any means a blowout victory for Miami so I I don't think I'm with you Sarah I don't think the Thunder fold based on giving away game six here or you know having the Warriors just hit all these insane shots. I do think that Clay and Steph are just going to have so much confidence now, having 
kind of gotten their mojo back that mm-hmm. it is hard to pick against them. But I really want to see OKC win. I'll be honest. I like nothing against the Warriors, and I if it turns into a referendum against their seventy-three win campaign that would suck so like i almost want them to win just so they have the ring and they have the validation but like i really want to see kevin durant and russell westbrook win a ring yeah no i get that i get that especially since they lost in 2012 right yeah 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 and that i mean that one was understandable because they were what like 22 23 at the time and it's like that was like lebron's 2007 finals it's just like you are too young to be here what are you doing come back, <laughs> yeah. come back in four years when you're ready so now they're ready and like they had i mean they beat a historically great spurs team like the best regular season spurs team we've ever seen yeah they had the defending champion best regular season of all time team on the ropes you know down 3-1 like it feels like they deserve it but at the same time the Warriors, like, I think it was teams down 3-1 before this were 9-223 and 223 all time. So, the, like, if the Warriors come back, credit to them. Like, it's there's no losing either way. But, damn, it's it's a bummer. I, I would have, I mean, I just don't want, I, I know it's going to reflect poorly on whichever team loses, and I think that's, that's a crying shame. I think both teams deserve a hell of a lot of credit for what they've done. Definitely. definitely. Hot take hot take time. Oh boy. I think this series is what convinces Kevin Durant to officially return to the Thunder. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. hell yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, you you're up three one on the Warriors. Like yeah. we, you're not gonna get a better chance unless you join the Warriors <laughs> and even then they have to give away so many complimentary pieces that I don't know. I mean, I totally, totally agree. There is that story is done. Like, if he, it, there's no way he can look around the league and say, "Where is my best chance to win a ring?" and conclude it's anywhere else aside from OKC because they clearly do have the pieces to beat Golden State, and Golden State's not probably going to lose personnel this year. Like, Harrison Barnes is probably gone. They're probably going to lose Festus too. Like, they, they are going to get weakened, whereas OKC. I mean, Dion is their only major contributor. They're at risk of losing, right? Yeah. Guess it wasn't that hot. hot I was going to say, oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Warren. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> very, very lukewarm take right there. All right, fair enough. Uh, all right, so let's switch gears here. We're going to go to the Where Amazing Happened segment of our podcast because we've had some really exciting things happen, both on the coaching front and then some trade rumors that – you know I'm excited to talk about. <laughs> Always. Me too, man. <laughs> but let's let's first start with Mike D'Antoni, who is reportedly finalizing a four-year, $16 million deal to take over as the head coach of the Houston Rockets. He is departing my beloved Philadelphia 76ers, and we will be replacing him with P.J. Carlissimo. Uh, guys... W- how do you think D'Antoni fares in Houston, particularly in terms of his fit with James Harden? Well, James Harden has legs and can run, right? And he's talented <laughs> and he can shoot, so he'll probably fit pretty well under D'Antoni. Uh, I, I think D'Antoni's system always uh, needed some sort of Swiss army knife, like Sean Marion. Mm-hmm. 
they I, I you know the closest thing you can come on Houston is Trevor Ariza but he's yeah. like the poor man's version of it he, he's not quite as multifaceted and that's a problem they don't really have that big man who can really play pick. You can play pick and roll with Dwight. Is no not a guarantee to return. In fact, we all are inclined to believe he's going elsewhere. Oh yeah, he's he's gone. Yeah, he exactly. Yeah, he hated D'Antoni. So, that, so I think that sealed the deal right there. Yeah. So like, what do you do? What's what do you, what does D'Antoni do here? Right. I mean, play Donas as Muddy Yunus as the big man and try to unleash him. Terrence Jones, like, what's What's the alternative? Clint Capella is more of a defensive-minded guy. Yep. It it seems like the roster needs a little bit of tweak. Mm-hmm. Now, scratch that, a lot of tweaking to fit D'Antoni. But I, I like the price, though. I, I think Mike's price range here is, is pretty solid. I mean, they don't really... Houston, that is. They don't really gamble from, on like a four-year, $25 million something for, for a college coach or whatever. You get a known commodity for a cheap price. I kind of like that. They would need to tweak their roster, but so be it. They needed to anyway. That's fair. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Mata Yunus and Jones. Both of those guys are restricted free agents, so there's That's no guarantee true. either one of them return. And, and uh, Dante Yunus, uh, or yeah, Thomas is Mata Yunus, of course. I can always say that name like in its entirety when splitting it up. It just becomes confusing. <laughs> like he, he was traded to Detroit, remember? And yeah, the trade was right. rescinded. Yep. So he probably is like, mm, I don't know if I'm sticking around here. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He, I can't imagine he's thrilled with, with that poll. But he's probably. <laughs> I, I bet you he does not go to Detroit. So That's at least true. You could, you could cross that off the list. But he's a qualifying offer candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, what do you think about MDA in Houston? It's funny. Is like my perception of D'Antoni is colored by all those Spurs Suns battles, uh, like oh five oh seven even 08, but mainly 07, like, I remember him kind of losing his mind a little bit. <laughs> like, my, the one image I always remember is him in a post-game uh, press conference, and they're like, hey, so do you think this series is has gotten a little physical? And he's like, oh, yeah, you think? <laughs> and he says, well, their half, uh, but we need to make it our half. And then he, like, got up, crumpled a piece of paper, and, and threw it, and walked out. And that's that's always the main thing that I remember about D'Antoni, uh, which I I don't think is is too uh, exaggerated because he basically admitted that those battles with the Spurs probably clouded his judgment a little bit and pushed him out of a situation that he he probably should have stayed in in Phoenix. But you know, all that said, I think he's a good good hire for Houston. Um, of course, you know, the, one of the big knocks against that team has been their defense, and he's not known for for coaching defense. But uh, when they were good, it was kind of that helter-skelter running style uh, that he likes. Uh, of course, you guys mentioned the roster is probably going to change quite a bit. Um, so I don't know what to expect as far as all that, but... I think it's a good hire for, for Houston. I I think it, it could either go well and he starts to turn them around or it could go horribly wrong. But um like you said, I think especially if the roster changes a little bit, I think I think he'll do a good job over there. Seven yeah. seconds or ISO. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. That's really how it's going to be. Like, and I don't, I'm not even trying to be funny about it. Yeah. That's how it's going to be. They're trying to gonna get a couple of guys in who can run, get some shots up early in the clock. And if that fails, give the ball to James and back the F off and let him work. That's, that's going to be their main type of uh, offensive set. I, I reckon, uh, not that I believe that has the biggest success attached to it, but that's how it's going to be. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, ESPN.com's Kevin Pelton had a good column about D'Antoni and his somewhat curious fit in Houston. Sarah, you nailed the defensive concerns, and that was the big question Pelton had. But offensively, he noted the Rockets this past year were third in terms of the percentage of plays they finished in isolation. Uh, nearly all of which were for Harden. He had uh, more than 150 more ISOs than any other player in the league. By contrast, Phoenix was in the bottom 10 in ISOs in each of D'Antoni's four full seasons at the helm, including the league's lowest rate in 2006-2007. So... Makes total sense. Yeah, Makes total sense. That's the... uh, That is the big question on offense, is can he make... James Harden at least slightly more amenable to giving up the ball. Because I think that's only going to make him Harden better. Like, if he doesn't have to dominate the ball, like, he's got the body to be such a good slasher. Like, he, mm. you know, he already, like, he just dribbles it and then drives right to the cup and gets fouled 16 times a game. But, like, imagine if, if they actually get, you know, a, a point guard. See, the, the thing is, I just don't know how Patrick Beverly factors in because he does not seem to be the type of starting point guard that D'Antoni would want, but I feel like you want his defense next to Harden. Mm-hmm. So if if he gets the ball in his hands a little bit more and can facilitate Harden off the ball, I'm really interested to see how it all unfolds. But yeah, I mean, for $4 million a year, like, you know, Scott Brooks just got $7 million from Washington, like give half of that to a, a guy who you know has had success and you can argue was basically the precursor he was like a decade ahead of his time with all these pace and space three-point heavy teams now uh so it's you know that's it's the kind of the perfect marriage since that's what Maury ball is right like it's just a fast-paced three-point heavy like three-pointers layups like that's the, the GM and the and the head coach are certainly going to be on the same page. So that's usually at least the first key to success in the NBA. Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. That's that is exactly what Maury wants. So yeah, that's mm. that's where I guess the thought process was for this decision. Yeah. So we'll we'll see who they bring in for defensive coordinator because that's clearly going to be a <laughs> oh, yeah. big a big uh, issue for them, guys. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's finally happening. The reports are that the Sixers are either going to trade Nerlens Noel or Jaleel Okafor, according to ESPN's Chad Ford and Mark Stein. Um, I think they said, let's see, they, they want, it wasn't in Ford's actual report, but it on Twitter, he said, they were hoping to flip Okafor for a top six pick, uh, presumably to take a guard. 
The fit is pretty questionable in Phoenix since they have Alex Len, and Minnesota would laugh them off of the phone if they offered Okafor for number five, but Boston for three, or even the Pelicans for six? I mean, I hate Anthony Davis next to Okafor, but if the Pelicans want to do that, by all means, go ahead. Um, I, I mean, I've been trying to trade this dude for the last every time we get on the podcast. So. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. as you can imagine, the fact that these trade talks are actually happening is kind of the best news of my year, aside <laughs> from Ben Simmons. Um, I am writing something for Bebo Breakdown right now about which one they should trade and why, and you can imagine <laughs> where I fall on that spectrum. But quickly, can anyone give me a defense of why the Sixers should keep Okafor and trade Noel? Uh, could we just insert a clip of crickets chirping? <laughs> okay, I'm just making sure. I'm happy no, for okay, you, well, but uh, they still have to find a partner, Brian. So yeah, try to keep going. That is true. Look, he, let, let's just break it down rationally before Brian kind of laughs himself to death. Because <laughs> I'm kind of nervous. I'm looking at you right now, and you are two laughs away from turning into the actual Joker. So <laughs> just true. bear with me. Yeah. Uh, Celtics have the third pick, yep. so that's the trade, you know, partner. Yeah. Boston also has so many chips that they can cash in this year to get significantly better and become a true and genuine finals contender for the next three to five years. They can go after Jimmy Butler, for example, if Chicago decides that they want to shuffle things up, which I imagine they would. Mm-hmm. So I, I have to assume, at least, that Jalil is the backup plan. Yeah. I mean, that has to be the assumption, right? Right. I would agree so right that. now, your personal obstacle, Brian, is the Chicago Bulls. That's true. Luckily, they are run by Guy Foreman, who... <laughs> That's who also know, true. <laughs> who doesn't know that trades are allowed in the NBA. So, yeah, I would be more concerned if... I mean, I just... I think superstar trades are so rare and like Boston definitely has the war chest to acquire one. You know, they have oh, yeah. three 16, 23 this year. They have a pick swap with the nets next year. They have an unprotected nets pick in 2018. Uh, they've got a bunch of young guys, not even including, you know, smart Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, but then they also have like Terry Roger, RJ Hunter, James young, who just like aren't even really in their rotation. So they've got, the combination of picks and young players that usually go out in such a trade. And then they have Amir Johnson's $12 million non-guaranteed contract. So that if salary matching is an issue, they can, they're they covered on all bases. I'm just, yeah. I mean, I think you're right in that Okafor is their backup plan. Uh, I just have to hope that whatever, you know, I just think the teams that would be willing to trade they're superstar, and I don't think the Kings are there with Boogie anymore. I think they really want to see what Dave Yeager does with him, so I think he's yep. off the table. Agreed. It really seems like it's Butler or bust. And, the, I mean, the Bulls might be at the point where they realize, you know, we this Butler-Rose thing isn't going to work out. We need to trade one of them. Derek's a free agent after this coming season, so we're probably not going to get all that much for him. Jimmy's signed to a, a deal that's only going to look better under the new cap. He signed for 
what four more years now so he's you know he's locked in long term there's no fear of him leaving after a year so boston definitely could do it i just hope that chicago asks for like i hope they ask boston to shoot the moon and then boston says screw it we're just gonna flip three for okafor i just wanted to make sure there's no there's no real argument to trade nerland instead of okafor yeah. As you guys can imagine, I'm pretty, pretty firmly in the Netherlands camp. I mean, I've been doing research. No. For this piece. Well, <laughs> are so, you? <laughs> I've been doing research for this piece, and a couple things I just want to bring up is one, according to Vantage Sports, Netherlands was tops in the league in deflections per hundred possessions this past year, and he was third as a rookie. So we we know he's like he's a great shot blocker. He's a great stealer like he he ranked top 10 as a rookie in both categories across the league and he's one of only 10 players ever to average at least 1.8 steals and 1.8 blocks in a season he's the only one to ever do it as a rookie so like dude basically has defensive player of the year written all over him like if he's on a 35 41 team he's right i mean he's gonna be on multiple all defensive teams in his career but i i just think the defensive impact he has can't even be limited to just these you know the plays that show up in the box score like the fact that his this deflections thing is insane like he just has such great defensive instincts he has quick hands and we've seen like this this western conference finals we've seen how disruptive length can be and how even the historically great warriors are really struggling i mean not as much as these past two games but like in games three and four, like OKC's length just swarmed them and just forced them into these terrible turnovers. And like Kevin Durant, I mean, he came up with incredible, like incredible plays. But New Orleans can be that guy. Like that's, I mean, that's what I just have to hope the Sixers realize is that basically you're hoping New Orleans turns into Tyson Chandler. And like you, he's not—he's not a great offensive player by any means right now. His jump shot is very much a work in progress. But neither was Tyson. Like you just lob him the ball in offense, which Nerlens could oh. do because he's freakishly athletic, and just let him wreak havoc on defense. And you can win a title with that kind of player. Like Jaleel is just Al Jefferson. Like he, he is a, at his best, he will be a rich man's Al Jefferson. I think he could still be a good NBA player. I'm not sold that he is like just a waste of a number three pick Whoa, I just wait, think... wait 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 i'm just gonna jump in real quick you said rich man's al jefferson are we talking prime al jefferson or current al jefferson because let's not forget prime al jefferson before the acl tear was a guy who was on his way to like annually get 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds yeah i think i mean i really think jaleel in the right circumstances could be that guy and i think boston in particular would be good for him because you want to put him in a place where you have a lot of good perimeter defenders so you're not putting him in really complicated defensive situations where he's asked to recover so yeah. if you have smart and bradley and jay crowder there like that's going to cover up some of his defensive deficiencies mm. and you also want to put him on a team where like you have to build your team around him but Boston's front court is in such flux right now 
that you can do that. So I really, I mean, Danny Ainge, just pull the trigger, man. Just do it. Not it's really- a hell of a lot of volume to go through with Okafor, though. You would have to, like, force feed him like Isaiah Thomas did with Zach Randolph and Eddie Curry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, right as a rookie, his offensive metrics were horrible. And, you know, people are using that against him and saying, like, oh, well, he was just, you know, he's defensively awful, but, like, he scored 17 points, but they were all empty points. But, like, look at the guys he was playing with. You know, like, Isaiah Kanan is a fringe NBA player at best. You know, you didn't have a point guard for the first 30 games, or you're starting TJ McConnell, who I love, but it's like he's an undrafted rookie free agent. Like, you can't... (laughs) Yeah. You can't really bash Okafor for having a real point guard for 20 games, you know? So I, I think in the right circumstances, I really do think he he can work well. But I just This would be too funny really. if you spoke yourself back into being in Okafor's camp. Like <laughs> oh, if you no. started on this <laughs> ramp and then you just came full circle and you just kind of went silent and thought, like, you know what? I'm going to stick with Oak. Yeah. Oh, 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 damn. Maybe we should let Nerlens walk. And I think the, the case against Nerlens is that he's a, if you don't reach an extension with him, he's a restricted free agent next year. Someone could max him. That's a lot of money to pay for a guy who's only really making an impact on one end of the floor. But I think his upside on defense alone justifies that cost, especially given Embiid's injury history. You kind of really need... You can't trade both of them. Like, you need one center in case mm. Embiid just can't get over this thing. I just don't think Nerlens and Okafor can ever play together, so you might as well. You know, you've got Embiid theoretically coming in. Saric is theoretically coming in. Ben Simmons looks like, I mean, every report is saying the Sixers are leaning Ben Simmons, so that's another front court guy. you got to get rid of one of them just before the minutes crunch really saps the trade value of all of them. So I think by virtue of Okafor having three years left on his deal, he's going to have a higher trade value anyway. Yeah. Um, but even if it was, you know, remove all, remove age, remove, you can keep injury history in there, but remove age, remove contract status. If you're just looking at those two players, I think you choose the big man who is defensively elite and a work in progress on offense versus the guy who is, in theory, offensively elite, and then a work in progress on defense. I just think one is a lot easier to build around than the other. Like, you know, offense, you're not going to dump it. You said it, more. you're not going to dump it down to him every possession. But, like, yeah. on defense, he's involved on every possession. Like, he has to guard the rim on every possession. So his impact, his negative impact defensively outweighs Noel's negative impact offensively, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely does, and I agree with that entirely. Um, I, I just keep thinking of something. And this, this is going to piss you off because it didn't happen. Uh-oh. I'm just, I'm, I just keep going back to last year's draft and thinking. Yeah. Look, look how good Philly would have it right now if they just took frigging Kristaps Porzingis, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're still going to have the same problem, though. Like you, well, you not still really have... because Oak is a center through and through, yeah. right? Kristaps yeah. is both. You could switch him around. A little bit. I'm not. I'm not suggesting you could switch him down to the three, but at least right. the four. So I play him primarily at the four. Thanks, Kurt so, Rambis. Yeah. <laughs> so you would at least had have had that option available. Like yeah. Oak. Oak wasn't quick enough to guard fours. Yeah. 
Right. And right. At, le at least Kristaps just with his length could contest and whatnot. So I think you would have more flexibility in that regard. Plus, Kristaps has insane trade value. So even if you were yeah. intended on trading him, you could you could find like a great package for him. Hell, I even think you could trade Kristaps for number two. So you could have one two in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I'm not convinced Kristaps has the season he has in New York if he plays in Philadelphia. Like I think That's... the same. A fair the same thing, things yeah. that affected Okafor would affect him. Not having a point guard, you know, Carmelo sucked up a lot of defensive attention, so he kind of he got a little bit more offensive freedom than he would have had in Philly. And then it, it's not the same. You're right; it's not the same in that you have three centers, but you still have. Big assuming men. you take yeah, assuming you take Simmons, you still have five big men. There's just not enough space to go around, which actually leads us into. You're Chicago Bulls, Morton, now that I've ranted. Uh, reports came out recently, kind of conflicting reports, actually, yeah. about Joakim Noah's future with the team. Uh, Joe Cowley from the Chicago Sun-Times said he's been telling teammates that he is done with the Bulls, he's ready to leave, he has no faith, no faith in the front office, which makes two of you on that front. Yeah. But then uh, I think Casey Johnson came out and kind of refuted that report, and ESPN also made it sound like negotiations are still going on. Morton, uh, what do you think happens with Jono this summer? Well, um, I, I think Casey Johnson, I don't think it was Casey who uh, refuted it. I think he got in touch with Noah's agent, and Noah's oh, okay. agent refuted it. Um, it I'm kind of confused to the, towards the whole situation, what happened, but I wouldn't be surprised if that is Noah's true, genuine feeling regarding the team. Supposedly... Uh, Randy Brown was kind of a little spy in there from the as, a, as an assistant coach, reporting mm. back to Gar Foreman, you know, all year long. <laughs> I mean, look, there are a lot of loose rumors surrounding the Bulls because they're a very tight-lipped organization. So mm -hmm. keep in mind, folks, that all this has to be taken with like a truckload of salt. Right. But just the very fact that these rumors just keep on going, and it's year after year after year. Even last year, we heard rumblings. Uh, about someone being afraid that one of their offices might be tapped and it's oh, look it's just yeah it's it's just a horrible situation in chicago and if joakim noah wishes to get away from that i support that and i understand that i uh, i would hate to to see joakim noah in a different uniform but at the end of the day the bulls need to do something new Joakim, as great as he is as, as a warrior and a fighter and, and whatever, you know, he's 31. He's not going to get better. He, he's, he's on the decline a little bit. And he's probably looking at big money. That's the key issue yeah. for me. He's probably looking at $12 million a year, you know, based on reputation alone. Should the Bulls pay that? No, probably not. Simply because why spend a whole bunch of money on, on a guy who should be going elsewhere to fight for a ring the bulls aren't going to be there it's it all depends on management here because management supposedly is still under the theory that they can be uh, some sort of elite eastern conference team which is ridiculous because they just missed the playoffs i, I love sarah's reaction we're on video so sarah sarah just made the the classic facepalm meme right there <laughs> like oh god and, and you know this is the crux of the matter with the bulls Management has has an ego that's just too too big for him, and it yeah. happens regularly for them. And Joe Keem getting fed up with that, kind of get it. 
I would also understand if other players got fed up with it. I don't think Power is returning, which is good news for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can go find a different situation. Hi, San Antonio. Sarah, look forward to him. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Don't you put that um, on us. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, it's happening. You just yeah. need to embrace it now. Yeah. But, but you know, it's they don't even know what kind of direction they want to go in. The, the draft is less than a month away. Yeah. They still don't know what the hell kind of direction they want to go in. And that is ridiculously laughable. Here's what I don't get. Bad teams, especially a team like Sacramento or your Philadelphia, they become the laughing stock of the league right. based on a lot of different criteria, right? The Bulls should be a laughing stock. I want people out there who listens to laugh at my team. I want you to ridicule them, meme them, give gif them, whatever. Just embarrass the living shit out of them people because they deserve it and and they really have this uncanny way of handling themselves. I mean, they have their their Sam Smith on the website, you know, oh, former God. former great um, you know, beat writer. Who now is hired by the Bulls? And he's right. He writes for Bulls.com, and his his mailbacks are just it's it's propaganda. Yeah. It's complete. It's so placed by Bulls management in there. It's just horrific to read, and that's that's just the sense you get with this with this Bulls squad and the upper management. It's riddled with dirt. It's rotten to the core. So, Joakim Noah, get the move on, boy. I'm gonna support <laughs> you all the way through. I don't care where you end up. I'm going to clap my hands at you just as you clapped Chris Bosh for yelling up at, Mar- at Mario Chalmers. I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm going to hold you to that when he signs a minimum deal with Cleveland next year. Okay, come on. I mean, <laughs> there are limits, right? I mean, <laughs> no. no. You know what? I'm, I'm actually good with that. I, I, I wouldn't care either way. Just to see Noah get a chance for a title, that would be awesome. Yeah. I don't think he does, though. Him and LeBron, no. they oh, don't get no. along no, no, like, no. at all. No could you imagine Tips going after him and, and Noah and Garnett on the same team? Oh, my God. <laughs> that would be so funny, though, because they could bury the hatchet. Because yeah, KG is all in on his teammates. Right. And that's the same with Joe. Like, if, that, if Joe coming in, they could, he could, they could finally bury the hatchet and Joe could go, where's the love, man? And KG could be, the love is right here, brother. Welcome to the farm. <laughs> like, we, we got this. But, also, yeah. if Towns gets tutored by KG and Noah, the, we just should fold the league. Like, there's no point in playing basketball for 10 did, years. It's did just we just be... give Minnesota a reason to sign Joe Keem? I think we did. Oh, my God. That's that actually be... not bad because Carl Anthony Towns just missed that one passing aspect. Noah, yeah. he actually – and this is not something Noah had. Well, he had, and he had a good one, but it was perfected by Brad Miller. Brad Miller hmm. developed Joe Keem Noah. So Joakim Noah could develop, yeah, Towns. Yeah, time to pass it down the line. I would love that. There we go. I would absolutely love that. Joe, Joe, go to T Wolves, baby. That's that's my new team anyway. So why not? I'm <laughs> yeah, right there. I'll be I'll be I'll be waiting. The the 13th jersey, whatever number you're gonna get, I'm I'm gonna be right there, Joe. All Bulls fans are ready to defect to the T Wolves anyway, so you might as well just send Joe there and just let's let's complete the process. I should mention, I've been called a, tra- a traitor on Twitter, and I just want to clarify, this is not me changing allegiance. This is me, like, going out and, and kind of, like, what's the word? I- I'm objecting. This you're, you're, is, this... you're taking a break. 
I'm taking a break. I'm I'm just I'm kind of going up. I'm raising my hand. I'm saying no more to Bulls management because I feel they are condescending as hell, and yeah. I, I want the entire infrastructure of the Bulls to change. So no, I'm not a T Wolf fan. I just I, I'm trying to make a point here in doing this. And You're... if Bulls fans do the same world over, you know, fine. I would love that. You can just, uh, you're throwing your support behind a somewhat well-run organization versus a tire fire. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to do the same when the Sixers max out DeMar DeRozan this summer. Oh, no, no don't worry. They're going to max out Harrison Barnes. Uh, no. We, we no, need to absolutely. touch on this, by the way. We need to touch on this because that we didn't touch on it when we talked about Golden State. Yeah. Sarah... Could you agree? I know you're not into the big salary numbers, right? Hey. But would you agree that Harrison Barnes is nowhere near a max player? Yeah, I can agree with that. Definitely. Yeah. I, I I I think it's ludicrous that 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 this rumor still persists. I think, like Brian, I don't, I don't think it's a rumor. I think I mean I think he's gonna get a max deal. I think it's an it's like an upside deal. Like you think. But based on what? He, he hasn't developed. Yeah. That's what I don't get. I mean, I've been trying to talk myself into it, and I kind of fluctuate back and forth because like, the, the Sixers obviously need a wing, but I'm not convinced. Like, I want Robert Covington at his price for the next two years rather than Harrison Barnes in a max deal. Shit, yeah. Like, I, yeah, I don't... Oh, I don't see it with Barnes. You Every time he, like, shows flashes, but... Even when Steph was hurt, like he didn't, he should have taken over a much more prominent scoring role when Steph was hurt. I got and the numbers he up here did. still: eight point eight points a game on thirty-seven point two percent from the field in the five games Curry was out. I still remember oh. that because oh. I found that unacceptable. Yeah. And it's not just from an offensive perspective. You know, people are saying, "Oh, he's he's like a three and D guy, corner three and D guy." No, he's not. Yeah, you know, he's decent defensively. He has his moments when he, when he can actually become a downright good defender. But it's still moments. It's fleeting. It's fleeting moments. Right. He's not and like you, a thirty-eight minute defender. You also don't want to pay max money to a guy whose only appeal is a three and D guy. Like, yeah, exactly. That's a especially a, new cap money. Right, like a fifteen million dollar deal a new cap sure that's fine but yeah 25 million for that hell no no i ain't doing that yeah i mean I, i'm not he's gonna get it it's just which team you gotta hope it's not your team <laughs> it only takes one team that's what they all yeah. say but i'm looking at like the league as a whole right who even even if we take the dumbest team imaginable and i'm not naming any names because we all know who they are why would Sacramento? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but why? Why would any team go out and sign him to a max? Like, I don't find the logic in it from anyone. You know who might do it? What? Or- Orlando, because they need they open so much cap space with that Tobias oh, Harris trade God, that they just no. need to fill a hole, even though that... they have Hazonia. But maybe maybe Frank Vogel says, "Yep, I need Harrison Barnes. He's my." He's my primary wing defender. Here's my problem with it. Let's say he does get a max deal and he breaks out, right? Mm-hmm. People would all be like, oh, it was in the cards. No, it wasn't. No, oh, it no. wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It really wasn't. It's, it would it's be... a pure gamble. Yeah, if, it is. If it works it out, that's fine. 
but like don't yeah no one should say this was like preordained <laughs> yeah th- he this, had a this isn't golden state exactly this isn't a james harden situation like we all knew when right. harden was traded from oklahoma that he was so good that he would become a star like no one literally no one questioned that we we yeah. all knew he would become like a 20 point scorer and he would become a terrific all-star this is not right. a james harden right. situation and I'm, I'm i just don't understand like the premise behind oh harrison barnes is gonna blow, blow up no no he's if he does it's it will it will defy conventional wisdom that is very true all right well that's a good place to wrap up morton uh that's gonna do it for us today at the nba podcast presented by b-ball breakdown be sure to check out bballbreakdown.com for your latest playoff coverage we've got recaps of every game we will have a preview of the finals up now once golden state and okc give us a thrilling game seven until then morton and sarah it's always great talking to you guys likewise bry same enjoy your weekend all right you too take care Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store At ACE, we believe there's nothing better than helping kids. That's why we've been proud to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for over 25 years. This Friday through Sunday, get our 5-gallon bucket and 20% off almost anything that fits inside when you donate $5 to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And like ACE, CMN Hospitals are local, so the money you donate helps kids near you. ACE is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Offer valid at participating stores on regular price merchandise only. Additional conditions and exclusions apply. See store for details.